good evening. Welcome to Wednesday Night Community. So good to see all of your faces here tonight. Um, we're on week three of a study that we started at the beginning of the semester that'll take us through the, the end of the semester looking at um, this ancient confession of faith that Christians for a couple thousands of years and even contemporarily right now, uh, Christians are saying around the world uh, every single day, probably right now, someone is confessing it. So it, it, it roots us in something deep, but one thing that we've been saying all the way along is it itself doesn't have power. It's a creed. We've, we've kind of distinguished it weak from this, from this concept of it's not scripture, it's not divinely inspired, but it's a good guide, and it's something that we evaluate and we look at. In fact, one of the weeks as we get there, we're actually going to be talking about, um, and every week, we constantly want to be assessing, does the creed affirm scripture accurately? <laughs> if it doesn't, we'll reject it, right, or refine it or tweak it. But again, this has been this, this uh, helpful guide for apprentices of Jesus throughout the years. And so week one, we talked about this simple idea of credo. Like, what does it mean to believe? And we, we, we kind of looked at the nature of belief, and we said one thing we want to stay away from is this idea that, that Christians are supposed to, by their willpower, sort of psych themselves up to believe with deep, deep conviction and sincerity. That's not our job, Right. Our job is to move into sort of this uh, third layer of saying, God, I want you to change my mental map of the world so that I effortlessly do what Jesus would do if he were in my place. I can't do that by my will. But as Jesus changes through his spirit, the, the core, like, remember, furniture of my mind, the stuff that's just there, then, then that's how I begin to effortlessly do this Jesus life thing. And, th and then week two, we talked about the idea of I believe in God as Father and looked at this idea that Jesus introduced the concept of Father as uh, not just in the, what in the Roman world they might think as the you know, pater familia, sort of the one who's in charge and you better stay in line, but, but the Abba, Father, that there's this deep personal intimacy and connection that, that we can have with the Father, and, and so he, he is uh, intimately personal, and tonight we're going to look at what comes right after that, before we introduce that. Sometimes one of, you know, there are a lot of different ways to engage with the Bible, to read the Bible. Sometimes it's picking, I'll pick one scripture, like three sentences, or two sentences, or a paragraph, and it's reading it, and reading over it, and studying it, and meditating, it and thinking, chewing on it, and just reflecting, making connections. Another way to read the Bible sometimes is to just, just, instead of like taking a drink of water, it's like jumping in a pool. It's just letting it flow over you. And so I want us to read a number of verses that we're not gonna take the time to stop and take apart, but we're gonna let it kind of just flow over us. And when, when we're done, it will be introduced to kind of the direction of where we're going tonight. First Chronicles 29, verse 11. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Jeremiah 32, 27, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Luke 1, 37, for no word from God will ever fail. 
Psalm 80, 19, restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Revelation 1, 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Psalm 91, 1 and 2, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 145, 3, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Jeremiah 32, 17, ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. 1 Chronicles 29.12, wealth and honor come from you, you are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength. To all. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Romans 8, 38, 39, for I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 John 4, 4, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And would you read with me the last one here, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Any guesses what we're talking about tonight? I believe in God the Father, almighty, creator of heaven and of earth. Now, do you remember week one, we talked about this idea that, that the Apostles' Creed is something that has, it has grown, it has evolved over this span of history, and we, we can kind of trace some of this uh, growth back to with this ancient, very early creed, and we looked at it, and it was very, very similar. Do you remember what it was called? the old Roman creed, the old Roman creed, and we put it up, and they're very, very similar, but we said this, this seems to be sort of the, the inception, the seed that, that, that grew into that. Now, when Christianity spread west, because it's in, it's in the Middle East, when Christianity spread west as, and got all the way to, to Rome itself, um, it came from, from the Greek-speaking world, largely the eastern portion of the empire so most of the converts even in even in rome had this eastern connection that's why all of our surviving writings of the early church in rome anyway they're in the language of greek because that's what they were speaking however things very quickly uh, and soon changed as christianity spread to like the far west reaches of the roman empire um, you see that Greek no longer 
is the common language. That's why, in fact, the, the earliest uh, Latin Christian documents, they're not found in Rome, they're found in, like, North Africa. And so um, Greek tends to fall out of usage as the Roman Empire begins to focus on the, on the western edges of the empire. And so the old Roman creed, which was written in Greek first, it's very quickly and early on translated into Latin. And let, let's do that. Let's just kind of kind of nerd out here for a section. And let's just think about a couple words, okay? There's some, there's some words that are really interesting. And it's, um, it's going to set up kind of what we talk about the rest of the night. You remember week two, we, we said um, this idea that God um, he can be creator, but then there's also father, and they're sort of, they go kind of in different directions if you follow them all the way out. And so as we think about this, I want us to think about this. So this is the, this is the word that we translate into English, almighty. The, the Greek word is pantakrator. Pantakrator. Now there are two roots to this Greek word, and you can see them right below. Pan and krasis. Now pan, any ideas like what pan means? We use it Anyone old enough to remember Pan Am Airlines? They stopped in like the early 90s, I think, right? They started in like the 20s, and then they kind of went out of commission. Pan Am meant what? Pan American Airlines means that Pan means all over, encompassing. They traveled all over America, okay? So Pan is this idea of <clears throat> everything, all. Crosses, uh, we have words like democracy. Do you hear it in there? Democracy, what's that? What's democracy? You know, <laughs> okay, we're stopping this and doing a lesson on the Constitution and Bill of Rights. <laughs> that is kind of true. We don't know very much anymore, do we? Um, it has to do with governing, ruling, okay? Crusis is this idea of ruling. So, Pantocrator. What do you suppose that that's referring to? God is Pantocrator. Yeah, he's ruler of all things. The implication is all, all things. Now what's interesting, when Latin kind of comes into play, this is, and you can probably already see a word here because it's a word we use very similar to it all the time, right? Omnipotens is the Latin word. What does that sound like? You've probably used it before. Omnipotent. What does omnipotent mean? Omnipotent, it's not a trick question, it's just all-powerful, omnipotent, we think about, right? Having all power, no limitations is kind of the idea. Is the idea. Now, to us today, you might think, what's the big deal? Same thing, right? Same word. There, it, 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 it meant there was a difference, a slight, slight difference that meant something to them, um, the, the Christians facing, especially the Gnostics and the Marcionites, we'll talk a little bit in just a couple of minutes about like what is that all about and everything, but it actually had an implication on how these early Christians um, engaged with some threats to, to following Jesus faithfully. That, and it was a shift about what they were originally trying to say when they said, we believe God, the Father, Pantocrator, that what they were trying to, this is something that is faithful, in scripture, faithful to Scripture, and it's there, and we want to be sure that we're really underlying it and drawing it out. So, Pantocrator, remember, it means that 
it's, it's what God is um, actively doing. So if you want to like write a, like a phrase, you could say, what God is, is like actively sustaining and taking care of. You get it? Almost like a gardener is probably constantly taking care of, cultivating, sustaining his or her garden. You with me? <clears throat> this idea of omnipotens, it's a slight difference. Um, when I was a kid, I used to read Marvel comic books. Any, anyone grew up like reading Marvel? Or, or maybe you're a DC person. I, I was more Marvel, but I'm okay with both. Um, the, in the Marvel Universe, every, it was like every couple years, they would put out, it was called the Marvel Universe, uh, was it something deluxe edition? Anyone know what I'm talking about here? No, okay. Um, it, it, it was a real thick comic book, and it was basically a catalog of every single superhero in the Marvel Universe. And it was like a dictionary entry. And so there would be like a dictionary entry, and so the first edition was like, a to C. And so any superheroes from A to C, they had their own profile in there. And it was a picture of the superhero or the bad guy, whoever it was. And it was like hometown they were born in, um, are, you know, their marital status, are they a part of any group, you know, are they, like, are, are they, are they with X-Men, are they just a you know, rogue guy, where are they based out of? Um, and, then it, and then it was their history, but the best part was like, what are their powers? And it was a list of like, well, they can see through walls. They got laser beams in their eyes. They, and it's this long list of all the powers they had. And then so you would take it and you'd be like, well, see, that's why this guy, you know, this guy would definitely kill this guy. This guy could never make it because, and you would compare powers, right? That's kind of this concept of this omnipotens was it's more focused on, let me give you this abstract list of all the things that God can do the emphasis is on, are you getting the difference a little bit? The emphasis is on limitlessness, abstractly, as opposed to actively sustaining, taking care of what's going on in the world. Omnipotens was saying primarily the idea that God has no limits to his power, and I'm, and I'm not disagreeing necessarily with the concept, I'm trying to get you to see the difference in emphasis, okay? It, 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 um, it refers to God's own capabilities and not so much to the things over which he is sustaining and caring for and taking care of. So this, this emphasis led to, in later centuries, you, you have medieval philosophers and theologians asking questions like, whether God always does what is good. Can God do anything? Is he limitless? Because does he always do what's good? Well, that means he can't do what's bad. Well, then he's not limitless. So it's this great philosophical question. Can God create a rock so big that he himself can't lift it? Because he's limitless. Well, you, so if you say he can't create a rock so big, then he's, he's limitless. Like, you see the point? It's getting to the sort of abstract philosophical questioning of how do we make sense of it. And again, I think there are good, I, this is what I spent much of my graduate work doing. <laughs> There's ways to give philosophically sound explanations of theological assertions and all that sort of thing. So I'm not poo-pooing that. I'm saying notice the direction of this concept as opposed to the direction of Panta Krator. It's very, very, are you getting it? Are you with me a little bit? Okay, I hope this is like not too, so subtle that you're like, get on with it, this is ridiculous. This is, well maybe you're thinking that. Um, so this, this emphasis, and, and that's, that's not what this statement the, the early followers, that's not what they were going for when they penned these words. I believe in God the Father, almighty, and he's creator of up there and down here. 
he's the, he's the maker of all of that. To say that God is almighty in this original sense, it's not asserting God's power in some abstract sense. It's asserting God's power as the author and ongoing sustainer of all things. Um, again, if you're still a little confused about, okay, so how does this work out? What's, what's sort of the big difference if you think about? In the early church, I mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago, there were a group, uh, well, there was a, a, a philosophical school of thought called Gnosticism, okay, Gnostics. Um, and Gnostics essentially had the idea that spiritual things are good and material physical things are either evil in and of themselves or they're the consequence of evil. Okay, do you get that? And Gnostic thought kind of crept into the early church. So there were Christians who were so heavily influenced by the ideas of the Gnostic teachers that it became a threat to the early church. One of the guys uh, who I mentioned earlier, his name was Marcion. Marcion is a teacher. Um, his father was a bishop in a town kind of on the coast of the Black Sea, and, and, and Marcion fully embraced Gnosticism and and claimed, I'm following Jesus. And so, you know, he would, he would say things like this. When Jesus talks about the Father, remember last week? When Jesus talks about the Father, he's not talking about Yahweh in the Old Testament. He's talking about this higher, truer, ultimate, the real God. Yahweh, this Jewish God in the Old Testament, he's a lesser God who he did something really either stupid or evil. We're not sure which one. He created stuff. Remember Genesis 1 and 2? Boy, that was a mistake, right? This Yahweh God, who is not Jesus' father, he's this lesser derivation of God or of, of some sort, he blew it. And so the true God sends Jesus to save us from that Yahweh God's mistake of creating bodies because our souls are trapped in them and creating the physical universe because we're stuck and that, that's the cause of all of the difficulty that we have. So for Marcion, redemption is not fixing Genesis 3. You with me? It's not fixing rebellion and sin. Redemption is fixing Genesis 1 and 2. It's fixing the creation. It, it shouldn't be there. That's what Jesus is coming us to, to liberate us from physical, material <coughs> things in our world. Now think about just some of the consequences as a follower of Jesus to this kind of idea. Uh, we ask questions like, so did Jesus really fully take on human nature? Because part of human nature is this stuff. <laughs> did Jesus become fully human? Right? In a couple weeks we're going to talk about this idea that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered. Well, you got to be physical to suffer and that died on a on a cross was was he actually bodily raised because he's trying to get we're trying to get out of the body stuff why would he go back into the body <laughs> um just kind of as a side note something i'm excited about on february 20th when we get to the section on uh, jesus rose again from the grave uh, i asked um dr craig blomberg from denver seminary he's he's one of the has been for a number of years one of the leading scholars on historical Jesus research. Yeah, he's a New Testament professor down there, and he's going to be with us that night. I asked him to come up, and so he's going to teach on the week that we get to this affirmation of Jesus rose again from the grave. So it'll be a sermon, but, but uh, uh, 
maybe a little bit more of a scholarly level. We'll see. I'm not exactly sure. But it's, he's, a, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. So I'm, I'm looking, forward, looking forward to that. So do you see the consequences that if there's not continuity between page one, creation, and redemption, do you see the consequences? If there's not continuity between the faith in the God of Abraham and the Christian faith, that's problematic. That's extremely problematic. Um, and so this is why the, all of this is why when the, when the old Roman creed was translated into Latin, after that they added this phrase because they wanted, let's be sure we're not missing this. I believe in God the Father, not just omnipotens, but what else? What comes right after that? The maker. Oh, same as Yahweh. <laughs> He's the maker of what? All things spiritual? No, of heaven and earth. That have, that's a way of saying pan, all. <laughs> He's the maker of everything that is, everything that exists. This is to remind believers that God, God's sustaining power, extends over every aspect of life. That he heaven and earth is another way of saying everything. Remember the Psalm 24, 1 that we read kind of quickly as we were kind of just letting the scriptures bathe over us. Psalm 24, 1 says, all the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So this addition of the heaven and earth, this is to safeguard against a very real danger, not just in second century world in Rome. It's to, I think, safeguard against even a danger today. And that is this, this idea that, um, I guess we could just say spiritualism. The idea that, that the object of God's love is that which is immaterial, that which is spiritual. And I would submit to you that the statement, this creator of heaven and earth, it's just as important today as it is back then. See, today in the church, a very strong doctrine and affirmation of God as creator of heaven and earth, of all things, it keeps us from a tendency to devalue the material. There are many people who, who think that God doesn't have anything to do with or anything to say about economics or politics or city planning or healthcare or psychology um, or prisons, that sort of thing. Let me, let me um, read for you that there was a book that uh, John Ortberg wrote, I think back in 2012, wonderful book. I would encourage you to take a look at it. It's, it's called Who Is This Man? Um, the subtitle of it is uh, The Unpredictable Impact of the Inescapable Jesus. And in, in one particular chapter, he talks about this idea that um, how, how Christians have worked out the implications of their faith, thinking about who God is, creation, and all these different things, in various ways of public life because they understand that, that the God of the universe is actively governing and sustaining everything. It's the pan, it's all. There's no part that's left out. And so he writes this. He says, historically, prisons, he's writing here about prisons, were hell holes. 
And if you are aware, if you, you, know, you see some movies and, and you see ancient prison, then it's awful. It's not, it's not like today. He says, but Jesus' followers remembered how Jesus had said, I was in prison and you came to visit me. And they would visit. A pagan second century Greek writer named Lucian wrote this about how when a Christian was put into prison, other Christians would bring him food. Uh, Ortberg goes on to kind of give a, uh, just a personal comment. He says, years ago when I was in Ethiopia, when it was under a Marxist regime and the church was mostly underground, uh, one or another of the leaders of the, uh, uh, the church group would frequently be arrested and put into prison, which was horribly overcrowded and unspeakably foul. Other, other prisoners used to long for a Christian to get put into prison because if a Christian was jailed, his Christian friends would bring him food, actually far more food than that one person could eat, and there would be leftovers for everybody else. It became the, quote, prisoner's prayer, and here's what it was, God send a Christian to prison. Two centuries ago, he goes on to write, 17-year-old English girl named Elizabeth Gurney, who wrote in her diary that she had no religion, met a Christian Quaker who instilled in her a sense of God's presence. Her faith grew more seriously. She became recognized as a Quaker minister at the age of 30. And three years later, she visited a jail near London named Newgate. Prisoners there were often filthy, uh, sorry, prisoners there were often filthy and dark. Women uh, would often be jailed after failing after falling in debt when their husbands ran away or died. Elizabeth was so struck by what Jesus had said that she organized teams to visit women in prison and read the Bible to them and teach them to sew. She became a reform movement that led to Parliament passing the Prison Act of 1823. Elizabeth Fry became known as the Angel of Prison. Leaders from all over Europe would come to learn what she was doing. And he ends by this quick little end here. In shopping malls, we still hear people ringing bells, part of an organization called the Salvation Army that flowed from the faith of William Booth. Whenever you say the words World Vision or YMCA or Samaritan's Purse or Compassion International, you are speaking, know it or not, of the movement of Jesus. See, to have, to have part of your mental map, going back to week one like we talked about, this idea that the God, God is the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, it'll have an impact on how you understand, like we said, every single thing about life. If, if, if the eighth commandment, that you shall not steal, is a part of your mental map, you can't embrace any sort of economic system which would go under the guise of redistributing wealth. That's called theft. There are implications to who God is and the world he has made into every single area of life. This affirmation of the creed here calls us to think biblically, Christianly, again, about city planning, about hospitals, about orphan care, about the disabled, and on and on and on. Are you with me? There are implications to these things. Let me, let me point out a couple um, application points that are maybe more close to home, mundane. Um, I don't do a whole lot of prison reform. Um, but as, as we think about what are the implications of this in my own life? 
Um, some of you might have heard of the person Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a, he lived in uh, Paris, France in the like 1600s, and he was very poor. He joined the army to get have some meals, and once he wasn't able to function in that way anymore, he went and joined um, a, a Carmelite monastery in Paris, and they thought, well, this guy is just is kind of useless. Let's put him in the kitchen, and so he spent the rest of his life just cleaning dishes in the kitchen, and that's where he spent his entire life before, before he died just <coughs> doing, doing that, and it wasn't until the end of his life that some of the people around him found these writings that letters he was writing and things that he had written out maxims and ideas and it was all these reflections on doing life with jesus in the kitchen while doing dishes and it was and so there's a book called the practice of the presence of god and it was because god had created the world he thought brother lawrence thought because god had created the world and was pantocrator was actively sustaining taking care every single part all over, he realized that there, there was actually an art of enjoying creation as it was meant to be enjoyed, and that when he was doing that, he could do it with Jesus. And so he talked about, I'm going to go on an errand with God. I'm going to go clean the dishes with God, because he realized there was a person behind every activity, because he was the maker of heaven and earth, and the sustainer of it as well. Here's, here's another very simple example. I would suggest that when you say grace at a meal, you are in that act, you are acknowledging that food is not just fuel. You're acknowledging that the food didn't just drop on your plate. When you say grace over meal, it is an act of recognizing that you are dependent for your nourishment on a whole chain of things, suppliers, producers, farmers, a chain that goes all the way back to the maker of heaven and earth. It's this deep recognition, and it's the recognition that there's a person behind this meal, and ultimately there is a person, the unseen guest at the meal, <laughs> who is with me. Do you get it? These are acts, things we do to remind ourselves God the Father, Abba, He is the creator of all of the, and it's all His, and it's all sacred, and it's all holy, and He's calling me to engage at every single level with it. Let me give you one more final kind of application, but it's more, it's more of an existential challenge, uh, I would suggest to you, um, about confessing this idea that God is actively governing. And that's, well, what about my own life? What about your life? Do you really believe, is it part of your mental map, that God is really sustaining actively caring for, lovingly ruling over the events of your life? Because he is. Um, but what about all the bad things that happen? What about the things that happen that maybe like Job, we begin to question, are you really asleep at the wheel? You, you, you really, you're sustaining, you're, you're, you're actively governing? You sure it's not this one? feels more like this one than that one at this at this moment in my life. One of my, one of my favorite biblical examples in the Old Testament is, is two events that both happened in Dothan. Dothan is a location that in the book of Genesis, there's this guy who finds himself in Dothan, uh, Joseph, the youngest brother so far 
of, of the 11 at this point, and, and his brothers throw him into a pit. You remember this story? And they're going to sell him into slavery, and, and, and he pray, oh God, save me, save me, deliver me here in Dothan. That's silent. And he knows he's got years ahead of him, a life of just difficulty and struggle, misery in many respects. Centuries later, Dothan is not just a little area, it's a, it's a city. And Elisha, the prophet, is in, Do- in, in Dothan, and, and the city is surrounded, or going to be, by this crushing army, and it's going to be destroyed. And God, oh God, would you save us? And you remember what God does? God said, the, the, remember the chariots of fire sends a chariot, the army's just done away with, and everyone is saved immediately, right? Now, if you know the story of Joseph, going back to that one, if Joseph, if, if Joseph had not been sold into slavery, if he had not had to walk through those very difficult years of struggle and difficulty, not only would hundreds of thousands of people died from famine, but I would suggest his own, his own family and kin would have been destroyed by their sin. And so would Joseph have been destroyed by what seems like pride in his own life. Here's the point. God was just as actively sustaining and governing, ruling over Joseph's life as he was Elisha's life. God was just as actively working in the, in the seeming slowness and, and non-answer to Joseph as he was in the swift and noisy answer to Elisha. And that is exactly true in our lives. To, whichever one it feels like it is right now for you. And that's exactly what Paul means, the Apostle Paul, when he writes this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love, the love of God that is in King Jesus, our Lord. Here's what I would ask you to do. We're going to, in just a moment, we're going to move into a time of communion. Before that, would you stand with me, and we want to recite the Apostles' Creed together. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can just stand and be quiet. That's totally fine. And it should be up on the screens, if not, it, oh good, it's there. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose again from the grave. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen and amen. That's our hope. That's our hope. 
And one of the ways that we declare that hope is through something physical, because God likes physical stuff. He made it. And so we take bread, a representation of Jesus' his physical body, and we take the cup, a picture of his physical blood shed for us, for the remission, the sending away, the removal of all of my sin. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> if you're a follower of Jesus, during this next song, I'd ask you to go to one of the stations around the room. There's some in the back. There's some up front. There's one in the middle that is allergen-free. Grab one of the elements. We'll take it on our own. So you can find a place around the room or back to your seat. But during this time, I would ask you to reflect on this idea that God is your almighty, actively governing every part of your life. Amen? And now a benediction, a good word for us as we go. Paul writes Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, I think that's because he is Pantocrator, than all that we can ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in King Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Hey, love you guys. Love this community. Thank you for being a part of it, for loving one another. Have a great week. See you next Wednesday.